This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Ty D. Butler on Twitter and Instagram. We say hello to you guys, Joe Leo and Chantel in the building, holding down the fort behind the scenes and just talking to them off the air. Uh, if you're in New York City today, you're feeling a lot. But this this feels like a summer day. Like you're ready to go to the beach, start tan, and take the shirt off because that the weather we were subjected to the last two days, uh, frigid, brutal. And I guess we can't really complain too much, just because that the the winter has actually been relatively easy to deal with. Has ha- hasn't gotten to a point where there was like significant. Amounts of uh, of snow we had to deal with. The weather's been pretty good. I guess don't want to speak too early. We knock on wood because uh, historically February is the coldest month. But you look at the temperature today and it's 46 degrees out. So you're feeling better than you did the last two days. So if you are driving around, hope you got the radio tuned in to 98.7. Because we're going until 5.30 where at that time we will have Knicks pregame as the Knicks get set to take on the Sixers tonight. That beginning at 5.30. Tip-off set for 6 o'clock. And, you know, <laughs> looking to rebound from that game last night, which we will delve more into. About an hour from now, we will talk to my guy, my good friend, Alan Hahn. You, of course, can hear him every day with Bart Scott from 12 to 3 right here on 98.7 ESPN. And he's, of course, on the pre- and post-game on MSG for every Nick game. Looking forward to talking to him later on today. But for the next three hours... Three and a half hours, I should say, outside of that, it is just you and I. So hit us up on the phone lines, 800-919-3776, and on Twitter, at Ty D. Butler, Instagram as well. Uh, Get to football, but you know where we have to start, and that is with basketball. So let's say hello to the same old Knicks. Uh, There are Knicks fans out there right now who aren't even heartbroken after what they saw last night. A three-point lead, you are seconds away from, I guess you could you could argue, would be their most impressive win of the season. They had trailed by 17 points in the fourth quarter to the Clippers, and, and not a, a load-managing Clippers. Kawhi, Paul George, all out there. Norm Powell playing well. A, a Clippers team that many predict can win the West. And they, you, you trail by 17 in the blink of an eye. You're up three seconds away from your most impressive win of the season. And then Batum hits that 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 shot off of an offensive rebound, which is so crushing because Paul George pulls up for three. You get the miss. Great defense by the Knicks initially. But what do you always say? A, a, a great defensive possession is always coupled with getting that rebound to secure it. You are a rebound away from that win, beating the Clippers at home, a place where you don't play well. And you give up the offensive rebound. Batum sends it to overtime. And then the Knicks lose for the third time in their last four games. So it's the same old Knicks. It's the same story. We keep talking about it. We saw, you know, the collapse against the Raptors. We saw a collapse against the Bulls. We saw, you know, them them folding uh, against the Nets in a game that they should have won. We saw that game against the Lakers this past week, a game I was at. And you don't go as far as to say that was the most heartbreaking or the worst loss of the season because, you know, Dallas Mavericks game happened, uh, and, and there's probably going to be nothing worse than that as far as that debacle is concerned, up by nine with 30 seconds left to go in the game and somehow finding a way to lose it, which, by the way, I guess that almost was uh, rendered false because that, that Mavs loss was, was the worst loss of the season, and I don't think anything's going to come close to that. But you go back a couple, ga- a couple games ago, and your win against the Heat, 
Tyler Hero this close to, to giving Miami the win in a game that the Knicks were up five with five seconds left to go in the game. So if you lose a five-point lead with five seconds left to, left to go, that becomes your worst loss of the season. They were able to hang on. But it just feels like we're, we're having the same conversation about this team every single night because you come off the high of beating Miami, and it was an important one because like it doesn't feel like it. There's only 28 games left in the season. We haven't hit the all-star break yet, and usually that's like the, the line of demarcation where you know it's the halfway mark. No, it, 28 games left in the season, and after that loss, the Knicks are the seventh seed. So coming up today, you've got the Sixers, then you play the Magic. Sixers again, Jazz, Nets, and Hawks. The, like it, it's, it's crunch time. It, it, it's go time for this team. And that win against Miami was huge. But again, the same story, the same old song. You come off the thrill of an amazing victory only to follow up with a, a, a pretty awful loss. And I, I tweeted this last night. The Knicks down eight with 312 left to go in the game. From an emotional standpoint, you'd rather just lose it there than suffer it the way that you did. Because like it coming into the game, are you expecting the Knicks to beat the Clippers? No. But when you're up three with seconds left to go in the game, yes, it becomes a horrific loss. This this team is just such an emotional roller coaster. You 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 beat the Cavs. You know, and, and where Donovan Mitchell in crunch time succumbed to your great defense. Then you go to Boston and overcome an early, what were they down, 19 points in that game? You find a way to get to overtime, down five in overtime. Big shot by, by Julius Randle. Big shot by RJ. Then big free throws by both of those guys. You win that game only to follow it up with being embarrassed by the Nets. Then you lose that game at home to the Lakers. So, okay, reset. Here's a big game against Miami who's ahead of you in the standings. And you find a way to, to pull that one out. Only to have the loss that you did yesterday. So, it's just, it's becoming numb. And I, I talked to Nick fans, asking them how they feel. And they said, you become numb to this thing. It, it's just the same old story. You, you run out of heartbreak. You run out of the ability to be heartbroken. Because it just keeps happening to you. So Jalen Brunson, give him credits. 41 points last night was critical in bringing the Knicks back and then giving them that three-point lead. Julius Randle added 28. And then R.J. Barrett, once again, nowhere to be found. 14 points of 6 of one, six of 21 shooting, 1 of 8 from 3. And he is pretty much like the epitome of what the Knicks are. Every time you're ready to feel invigorated and excited about the potential because R.J. Barrett did drop 30 in that game against Miami. So you feel like, okay, maybe this is where it starts to correct itself. Maybe this is that momentum game that where he can leapfrog his way into becoming the player we thought he could be. And then he gives you that stinker again last night. Same old Knicks, same old R.J. Barrett. If you want to talk about it, hit us up, 800-919-3776, Ty D. Butler on Twitter as well. And you go from one New York City basketball loss, one New York City basketball just negative story to another one. And I don't know what's more frustrating. The Knicks really have a, a ceiling of first-round exit. Like they get into the playoff game, you figure you give them a good chance to, to win the, uh, that, that play-in game. 
Which I guess uh, at this point, are you rooting for them to be the eighth seed because you want them on the road? You feel better about the Knicks on the road than you do at home, but you you know you obviously don't want them in that nine ten matchup because then they've got to win two games to officially get into the playoffs. So eight feels like where if you're a Dick fan, like the perfect spot to be in because you you want to be on the road. They this seem this team just seems to struggle at home. But from one New York City basketball, you know, frustrating. Uh, game to react to or frustrating team to react to to another one. And, I'm, and, and I went back to the Knicks because the Knicks have a, a clear ceiling. They're just not talented enough to beat the likes of Milwaukee, the, the Sixers, the Celtics, like in the playoff series. So the Knicks are what they are, and it's because of, of their roster. Meanwhile, the Nets, they're a team that legitimately can have championship aspirations can be in that conversation with those teams I just mentioned, but they just can't seem to get out of their own way. And it was only a matter of time before we arrived at a storyline we're all too familiar with, and that is Kyrie Irving conjuring up uh, yet another bit of controversy. So Chris Haynes today reports that the Nets do intend to keep Kyrie Irving sidelined until a deal is finalized by the trade deadline on Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Kyrie did not play last night and was listed on the injury report with a calf injury. The Nets, by the way, did come from behind to beat the Wizards uh, behind, you know, 44 points off the bench from Cam Thomas. So they found a way to win that game, you know, keep themselves alive in the East. But Kyrie Irving it has become the big story yet again. And, and, and now, you know, Stephen A., I guess, was on NBA Countdown yesterday. And he said he's hearing that if a trade is not materialized, Kyrie could be prepared to sit the rest of the season. And I'm thinking, you know what? Nothing quite sells a new team on giving you a max contract like being on a title contender and deciding to punt on the rest of the season. Yeah, that that will show your new employer you are worthy of a max contract. Come on now. Who would be dumb enough to max this guy out? And what's so frustrating is, like, the Nets— Started the season, 1-5, Nash gets fired. And even before that, the offseason was, was a disaster because you had the, tr- the the KD trade request. So you come into the season fresh off of that, you start 1-5, Nash is canned. You bring in Jacques Vaughn. Remember, they were entertaining the idea of email Doka. That became a big story. It was just like controversy after controversy. This team just is, is a soap opera. Ben Simmons. He, what's his status? Is is he going to become anything close to the player he was in Philly? Kyrie Irving liking tweets that you know promote promoted anti-Semitic tropes that were used in movies. So all of that drama you dealt with, and then you know just four weeks ago, the Nets somehow had escaped all of it to become the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. So you're thinking, wow, like that all just disappeared quicker than we expected it to. Because we went from this team blowing it up, bottoming out, recouping some picks, get rid of Kyrie, get rid of Ben Simmons, get rid of KD, to they're only behind the Celtics in the East. Kevin Durant playing at an MVP level. And then KD gets hurt. And the Nets, you know, to their credit, after starting 0-4, have actually played pretty well since then. They're now 5-7 and in the 12 games that KD has missed. All you wanted them to do was to, you know, stay and hover around 500. And now they're just two games under 500 in, in his absence. And Kyrie had, had been unbelievable. 
So you just felt like, okay, maybe we should start to take this team seriously because Jacques Vaughn comes in and they're they're excellent defensively all of a sudden. They, they, they've become a team that could knock on the door of winning a championship. And then here we go with Kyrie Irving and his drama again. But if I'm the Nets, I call his bluff, honestly. I don't trade him. He has zero leverage. The last time the Nets acquiesced to a trade request, they sent James Harden away in exchange for Ben Simmons. How'd that work out? Harden right now, you could argue, was one of the biggest all-star snubs. He leads the league in assists. He's having a really good year. Had one injury that sidelined him for a couple weeks. But for the most part, he's been, he's been really good for the Sixers, playing in his role. He's not the scorer that he once was, but you know he's allowing Joel Embiid, who's leading the NBA in scoring right now, to be the best player on the team. And he's putting him and his all of his other teammates in best position to be successful. And Philly's doing pretty well. Philly, one of the hottest teams in basketball right now. And what the Nets have to show for it in that exchange, in that deal, is Ben Simmons, who we continue to question if he still enjoys the sport of basketball. So that's a trade that didn't work out. Conversely, you decide to keep KD. He plays like an MVP, and you peak as the number two seed in the East. So again, like if I'm the Nets, why would I trade Kyrie Irving? You came for Harden, and it didn't work. You kept KD, and it played out favorably. I understand there's the threat of him not playing and the distraction that it creates for the locker room. I get all of that, but I call his bluff. Is he really, really in pursuit of a big-time contract, which is what spurred all of this to begin with? In pursuit of that, going to punt on the rest of the season for a team that, with him, can come out of the Eastern Conference and possibly win a championship? Is that getting you closer to getting the contract that you want? So I call this bluff. Now, if there's a deal out there to be had that you feel makes you either better or keeps you at championship level where you're not taking a significant dip and you remove this distraction from the locker room, then I'd sign up for that. But if I'm Brooklyn, as it stands, you know, based on what we're seeing, the reports and you know potential trade opportunities, I keep them. I get KD back, and I try to compete for a championship. Again, the Nets, the Nets are 5-7 and seven without Durant. He should come back soon. And then, assuming he can keep up his elite level of play, which had him, in my eyes, second behind Jokic in the MVP race, I, I, I think you roll the dice. And if you lose him in free agency, so be it. So be it. But I am not doing that hardened trade all over again, where just because... It feels like I'm going to lose him for nothing. I'm trading him somewhere and getting less back in return. I've got an opportunity to win a championship. I'm going to keep him and call his bluff. And if he sits out, it just reflects poorly on him. I don't think he comes out and emerges as a winner by doing that. And I get he's unpredictable, but that's just the way I would handle it. How would you do it? 800-919-3776. Ty D. Butler on Twitter. Your phone call is coming up. We're going until 5.30 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN. Butler on Twitter and Instagram. So I'm talking to Joe Leo uh, during the break just now. Joe, can you pop your microphone on? So you, you, what was the question you asked me? Am I ready for what about as it pertains to Kyrie Irving? Are you ready for Russell Westbrook to be a Los Angeles Laker? Or right, you mean Kyrie Irving to be a or, Los Angeles uh, Laker? Kyrie Irving, yes, not Russ. So I, I guess the potential trade there would be Kyrie to Los Angeles, uh, rumors we've heard, in, heard about now for a year in exchange for Russell Westbrook and then the two 
Laker picks, the 2027 first rounder and 2029 first rounder. Because of the Russ and Anthony Davis trades, those are like the only first round picks the Lakers have of you know attractiveness. And then you throw in Russ's expiring contract. The reason why it doesn't make sense to me, and as, as a Laker fan, I would love that because I think that they become the favorites in the in the West with, with Kyrie alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron. If you're the Nets, I don't understand why you would entertain that deal because it doesn't make you better. You don't replace Russell West. You don't replace Kyrie with Russell Westbrook and maintain your your ability to win a championship. And those first round picks, while it sounds all good and well in theory. The guy responsible for orchestrating this trade, Sean Marks, probably won't be here in 2027 and 2029. So what does he care about the future? I, I, I think that what, what you try to do is go the route like Phoenix, as another team that's mentioned as far as a, a potential trade suitor. DeAndre Ayton doesn't make sense because Nick Claxton is playing at, at an all-star level this year. So his, the best season of his career is one of your best players, probably your third best player. Him and Aiton don't make sense together in the front court. So I guess the, the route would be, you know, Chris Paul, Cam Johnson, and, and Crowder, which I think would be a, a pretty good trade for, for Kyrie Irving. Chris Paul, he's, uh, you know, the age and the injury concerns play a factor. But if he's healthy and then you throw in those two wings with, with, with Cam Johnson and, and Crowder, I think that makes more sense. But, again, I go back to it. If I'm the Nets, uh, unless I'm getting a deal that I feel still puts me in contention to win a championship, uh, I just I just can't see myself dealing Kyrie. I, I, I play the waiting game. Reveal yourself. Uh, are you going to sit there and punt on the rest of the season when, when you're looking for a big contract? I don't think you're going to do it. 800-919-3776. Let's go to the phone lines. Batting leadoff today, Tim is in New York. What's up, Tim? How you doing, Tim? Oh, Tim, are you there? Going once. Can you hear Hey, yes, Tim, we can hear you. What's up? All, all good, man. What's up? How you doing? Hey, good, man. Hey, just like everybody else, a little, um, you know, not surprised, but yet shell-shocked last night at the Garden when we were there. How long are we going to continue to allow Tibbs to turn the ball over to Julius when we see how much, you know, we, uh, our team is doing better when he's not the main ball handler? I think there were three or four turnovers that he threw at Hartenstein's feet um, just, just mind, mind-boggling. You know, I know RJ had a bad game, but that game was in hand. And then, lastly, I know that um, they didn't foul. They could have fouled, and they had a foul to give. I just think at times Tibbs is limited, and I do think that maybe who could we bring in just to shake it up? I think he may be running the end of his cycle. Uh, I appreciate the call, Tim. So I, I never agreed with the the idea that. Tom Thibodeau was the Knicks' biggest problem. I think that when you look at the overall roster construction, it's just hard to be a really good team if your best player is Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson. Like These are really good players, and they've been tremendous this year. By the way, Jalen Brunson should be an all-star. I saw Jalen Rose say, uh, you're a cornball if when you say that someone got snubbed, you don't you don't also in concert give us the name of the guy he should have replaced. So in, 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 in lieu of being a cornball, I'll say, uh, Jalen Brunson, I think, has an argument over Drew Holiday. The numbers are comparable. I, I think Jalen Brunson gets dinged a little bit because Holiday is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, and the Bucks are a better team. And how, how well Drew played in Middleton's absence, being the second-best player alongside Giannis, helped him. But I do think that Jalen Brunson has a strong case for being an all-star over Drew Holiday. I, I, Halliburton... 
I thought you know was better this year than 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 Brunson. Tyrese Halliburton, I, I think's had a better year, but Brunson, like if it came down to Brunson and, and Drew Holiday, I would go Jalen Brunson. But he's been great. Brunson's been great for, at forty one points last night. Julius Randle's having a career year. Most points he's ever averaged in a season, most rebounds he's ever averaged, and he's back to being an all-star. And look, to, to look at what happened to him last year, at, because at, so the, two years ago when Knicks were the four seed, from the moment the regular season ended to the end of last year, so this includes that playoff series against the Hawks, Randall was, was atrocious. He was brutal, and he didn't help himself by going at the fans. So you know, he, when he's getting booed, I thought it was all warranted. He he just was was not very good last year. Now you can look at his numbers and say, well, he still averaged twenty and ten. You watched Randall; he was inefficient. He, he played with zero confidence. This year, he's shooting the three ball well. He's a lot more confident in his jump shot, and he's been on attack mode from opening tip. I I can't like it's hard for me to. It, it's so crazy to me that when the Knicks lose these games, they like it's easy because it's low hanging fruit to want to fire Thibodeau and blame Julius Randall. Like, it was so shocking to me. After that Laker game, I was there Tuesday night. And we all remember the final play of regulation when the Knicks have a chance to win the game. You go to Julius Randle, he dribbles into the corner. What do you hear Walt Clyde Frazier always say? Don't dribble to the baseline because you can't go out of bounds. So the baseline almost serves as an extra defender. So now you're guarded by Anthony Davis. LeBron comes over with the double team. It, it, it becomes a triple team because of the baseline. So it's not a good decision from Randle to go that way. And if he feels like the double team is coming, kick it back out to Brunson. So I get ripping him on, on that play. But the story out of that game to me was R.J. Barrett checks out with 651 in regulation and never checks back into the game, a, a game that went to overtime. So we're talking about 11 minutes and 51 seconds of game time where he just sat on the bench. And folks want to start the sh- start the show and, you know, ripping Randall. Like, how, how is it that R.J. can escape the criticism? Meanwhile, Randall, who's an all-star this year, Randall is an all-star this year, and he's getting all the smoke. I, I think that because his game isn't aesthetically pleasing, there's nothing he can really do to win over the Nick fans because of, again, because of like his game. It, it's not, it, especially in crunch time, it's not fun to watch. But in the last 40 years, five Nick players have made the All-Star team multiple times. Melo, Allen Houston, Ewing, Bernard King, and Julius Randle. And yet, it's like every time the Knicks lose, this is the guy we want to blame. I got, I gave him credit for the, re- the rebound he's had this season because last year was a disaster, and he's come out in ball. Does he have his shortcomings as a player? Absolutely. Is he a victim of the reality that in order to be a really good team in basketball, you need a superstar, and he's not one of them? Sure. Because when I've got Giannis and Embiid and Kevin Durant and LeBron and Luka and Jokic and you're giving me Julius Randle, I'm already starting at a deficit. So the Knicks' ceiling is not going to be very high with him as their best player. But I do think he deserves a lot of credit for for the product that he's put together this season, for this performance this year. And if you and if today like you're ripping him over R.J. Barrett, who again was a no-show, 6 of 21, 1 of 8 from 3. Why did I see this stat? He missed 25 straight threes at one point. Like, this is the guy you just gave $100 million to? And then Nick fans are so overprotective of him. But come on, let's be honest about what we're watching. This is not the guy you thought you were getting, the number three overall pick in the draft. 
And maybe it's unfair to compare him to the two guys ahead of him, but that's, you know, historically what we do. Zion and Ja Morant, like the drop-off between those two guys and R.J. Barrett, woeful. Phone lines are blowing up right now, so we'll get to them at 800-919-3776. You can also hit me up on Twitter, at Ty B. Butler, and Instagram as well. We will be back and get to all of your calls on the Knicks and the Nets before we talk to Alan Hahn at 3 o'clock right here on 987 ESPN. This is the Ty Butler Show. On 98.7 ESPN. To New York? Could that be happening? Uh, Before we get there, two New York City basketball teams frustrating for different reasons. The the Knicks, just because they don't just lose games, they break your heart en route to losing said games. Last night, trailing 17 uh, to the Clippers in the fourth quarter. You come back, take a three-point lead. You're rebound away from winning you give it up, Batum hits the, the, the clutch shot at the buzzer to send it to overtime, then you lose for the third time in four nights. You don't just lose. You just have just devastating losses, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, where you question, like you look in the mirror after the game and, and, and ask yourself, why do I continue to do this? It's just awful. Meanwhile, the Nets are frustrating because unlike the Knicks, they are talented enough to win a championship. They just can't get out, out, out of their own way. And for the fourth straight season, it's Kyrie Irving doing Kyrie Irving things. Like, for your team to be in this position, and now's the time where you want to get mad that the Nets, who are doing the right thing, not giving you a max contract, you haven't earned that. Now you request a trade? He's selfish. And he is what he's always been. He destroyed the Cavs' title hopes when he asked for a trade. What was that, the 2018 season? Destroyed the Celtics title hopes when he just disrupted that locker room that had Tatum, Smart, and Brown, one of the best trios in all of basketball. Brad Stevens, one of the best coaches in all of basketball as the head coach, destroyed their chances. And now he's doing the same thing with the Nets. When someone tells you who they are, believe them the first time. The Nets didn't, and unfortunately, they are paying the price for it. 800-919-3776. Steve's in Westchester and wants to talk. What's up, Steve? Hey, hi. First of all, Love listening to you. You do a great job. Thank you, man. My question, I'm going to go off topic here. Uh, your former boss, uh, Dave Rothenberg. My former boss? Did you hear about what happened this past week? My former boss. Co-workers. He was never my boss. Co-workers. Okay. He's not, he's not paying me. There you go. There you go. Uh, did you hear about what happened this week? Uh, a lot of things happened this week. you got to be a little bit more specific than that. All right. The 6 to 10 show, uh, this is uh, Rick was uh, uh, speaking about officiating at a Friday 1 o'clock wedding. Yes, yes, sir. And Dave went after the couple for choosing such a date and time, uh, as opposed to everyone understands what that's about. You save a little money. Not everyone can Not uh, everyone afford Friday. The, 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 the Dave Rothenberg money, yes. Yeah, exactly. And he got a call. I guess uh, RJ led in a call. RJ did a great job where this guy went after him for being an elitist punk and said uh, the bridegroom, who maybe Rick knew, would, should, should take him out and beat the heck out of him. And I love E. Pierre but I love Rothenberg. I think he's so funny, but he is tone deaf. He, last year, he did the same thing about this woman. He said he criticized her for not saving enough for retirement. Uh, it's totally oblivious to the fact that half the population lives paycheck to paycheck. It's like yeah. he's in this other world. And, and uh, oh, my God, the the caller went after him. R.J. let the call in. 
And I thought it was like amazing radio. It's like, uh, you know, we joke around, everything's funny, but he, he really is oblivious to that. It's a yeah, whole he's, part he's of the crazy. population. That, he's crazy. You know, and I would say, and I appreciate, his, the, I appreciate the call, Steve. Uh, I, 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 I did catch wind of that. Rick was uh, officiating a, a, a wedding uh, today, right, at, at 1 o'clock, so that's, that's over with by now, you would assume. I actually was in attendance for Rick Rick officiating RJ's wedding. He did a pretty good job. I was very impressed. Rick, not all that talented, but really good at uh, officiating weddings. Uh, D- Dave's like uh, probably the most like unique guy at the station just because of like, how he is when it comes to his kids and his marriage and as a fan and how crazy he gets at times and like what's number one, number two, number three, like how, how he prioritizes things, like at the power rankings of what's important to him. So, look, when it comes to I have rules to like you, you have a wedding on a football Sunday that that's a bad decision uh, during the NBA finals. I'm not going to your wedding. Like, so I understand from that perspective. But, yeah, Sunday at one o'clock when, when the Pro Bowl is on, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Saving some money. I had my wedding on a Sunday. That's that's the best way. To, that's the best day to do it because you, you still want to have it on the weekend Sunday early. Got no problem with that at all. 800-919-3776. Brian's in Manhattan and wants to talk hoops. What's up, Brian? Hey, I was wondering, you know, I find as I get older, you know, some sports, you know, keep their priority with me. Others suffer. And I'm finding the NBA is suffering. And I think the Kyrie thing, I don't know if you know this, but about a week ago, Kyrie was interviewed. I guess I didn't realize he's, uh, part of the NBA Players Association sort of management team, right? Yeah. He's a, a vice president or something. And he essentially said that, you know, there's a lot of reasons not to play basketball and not all the players, you know, have the same love for the game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and this was around load management. And then a week later, you know, he's essentially saying, you know, trade me or I'm not playing for you guys. And I just find that the NBA, more so than other sports, has just done a terrible job of making the fans feel less and less and less important. And at the same time, you know, these games, the scoring is through the roof. I mean, what Cam, I even know, know, know the guy's name on the Nets. He scored 44 points. I just don't think it's a big deal to, to, to be a big scorer in the NBA anymore. And I was just wondering what you thought of, of my comments. This is the Ty Butler Show on 98.7 ESPN.